Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Um, so we are going through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. This is in Matthew, and this portion of the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew six nineteen through 24. Um, so have your Bibles or electronic devices, you can turn there. And um, we're going to go through it. The t- title is Your Heart on the Line. And if you've heard several of these uh, throughout the course of the year or so <laughs> that we've been preaching it, um, you know that uh, it's been a heart matter the whole time. You know, every sermon is, is really, uh, a, Jesus is speaking on where is your heart, where is your heart, taking a, the temperature of our hearts. And so this one is, your heart is on the line. Um, and then as a subtitle or sub, uh, above all else, guard your heart, which is Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart. Uh, for everything you do flows from it. And some verses may say it's a wellspring of life. Um, but Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Uh, so Matthew 6.19-24 reads, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. For if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So we're starting out with two treasures. He gives us two choices in each of these things. You have a choice between treasures, visions, and masters. Treasures, visions, and masters. It's your choice. (laughs) You choose which one you want. Your, uh, Your treasure is in heaven or on earth. Your vision will be dark or light. And you will serve God or you will serve money. And this is all correlated to where your heart is, right? Because where your heart is, that's where you will put your focus on. Treasures, the most valuable treasure we can have are those with infinite or unequivocal value. Treasures such as faith, hope, love, treasures such as integrity, character, sound speech, even more so do we treasure the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are things, those are treasures that uh, we cannot put a value to. They, they are so great in value, we can't put a number to those things. But unfortunately, when we think of treasures, we think of the material things that are on this earth. Cars, your home, expensive clothes and shoes, stocks, your work, your 401k, your job. Your boat, if you're lucky to have one. (laughs) Your phone. Uh, Status, position, education, praise and honor. Those are things that we treasure. Those are material things that we treasure here on earth. These things have come to define us, and we look to these things for joy and contentment. Maybe I, I should say I look for, maybe you guys don't look for those things for joy and contentment. I sometimes look to those things for joy and contentment. 
Our relationship with material things have become toxic. We look for material things to satisfy our needs that only God can satisfy. But we have our heart set on these things, these goods that will satisfy us, supposedly satisfy us. Uh, We hope that they will improve our self-image. They boost our social status. Sometimes we go after these things because we're in competition with family and friends and co-workers and peers. Uh, Sometimes we go after these things because it's the thrill of shopping and buying that makes us feel happy. And then we're depressed after we get all those things. Uh, Thinking that possessions will make you happy. And they may make you happy for a period of time. Uh, Influence over others and influence that, that, that position has over others. So sometimes we want that status, we want those things because it may influence other people. And we like that influence. And then sometimes we like to influence others by what we have. And we are influenced by others, too, by trying to attain those things. You know, keeping up with the Joneses and reading, I I didn't realize that the Joneses was a cartoon character that was in the 40s and 50s, and they were always trying to keep up with their neighbors, and their neighbors were the Joneses. And so that's where that term, keeping up with the Joneses, comes from. and are we guilty of trying to keep up with the Joneses or the Williams or the Moors? Please don't keep up with us, though, God. <laughs> Sometimes material things help us cope or combat our fear or anxiety or other mental health issues that we may have. And we feel like if we accumulate enough things, we feel good. I don't know if you ever saw that show, Hoarders. Yeah, I mean, and it, didn't have, it doesn't have to be anything of value. They would hoard trash because there was a safety in the accumulation of things around them. Um, and sometimes we feel secure because we have all these things. And we feel like that gives us value. Uh, you'll never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. You'll never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer because you can't take any of it with you. As, as hard as you work for it all and as hard as you may try to accumulate it all, you can't take any of it with you. Uh, you may leave it to some family and friends. You may leave it to people with, that you don't even like. They may get some of the things you have, <laughs> but you can't take it with you. Uh, the treasures you store up on earth will pass away. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5 says, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. This was good to me. It says, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off like the sky, fly off to the sky like an eagle. I mean, I can remember, you know, you got paid on Friday, and you look on Monday, and it's like, where did my funds go? Um, <laughs> just in a few days. Um, and it's so true, the riches you think you have are so fleeting, they will leave you so fast. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. And that's important. I think so many times, especially for men, we will wear ourselves out trying to accumulate or get things. And do not trust in your own cleverness. That's, that's important. Luke 12, 16 through 21 says, and he told them, this is a parable that Jesus was preaching to the disciples. He said, and he told them this parable. Uh, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. 
So he had such an abundance, he had overflowed his regular storage. And to, and, and this is what we do. And, and to not say, well, maybe I should give, he didn't think, oh, maybe I should give some of this away, which would be, which would be a good thing. He said, no, let me build more, build up more so I can keep more stuff. <laughs> so then he says, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. This is, this is how we think it. Right? This is how I think. I'm sorry. I'm, 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 this is how I think. I'm talking to not you guys. You guys got it. But this is how we think. This is how the world thinks that uh, when I get more, I want to build bigger so that I can keep more stuff. Not that when I get more, I want to give to the needy or give to others or get rid of some of my stuff. But I want to build bigger so that I can keep more stuff. Uh, then he said, "What I'll tear down what I have and build, and, uh, and there I will store my surplus grain." In verse 19, it says, "And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry." But God said to him, "You fool! This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared your, prepared for yourself." So what he's saying is you're going to get what you, your treasure. And when he dies, what will you get? Nothing, because you can't take any of that with you. So he's built all that up, and when his life is over, he will have nothing because he can't take that with him. This is how it would be with whosoever, verse 21, this is how it would be with whosoever stores up things for themselves but not rich towards God. This is important. This is how it will be when whoever stores up things for themselves but it's not rich towards God. You will get what you will get your reward. If you store up things in this earth, you will get the benefit of the things of this earth when you die, which is nothing. You can't take any of that. <laughs> it goes back to you can't take any of that with you. So that's your benefit is nothing. After, after accumulating all this wealth in the earth, you will get nothing. But it's not rich towards God. That's where we should be rich towards God. Your treasures, in, your treasures you store in heaven will last forever. The treasures you store in heaven will last forever. Let's go to Matthew 19 um, and look at, start at verse 21. Let me get there. You got there, say amen. It's a real, it's a real traditional... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Kojic Pentecostal Baptist. <laughs> we get it, say amen. If you don't have it, say Lord help you. <laughs> uh, Matthew nineteen twenty one. It says, Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go. He's talking to this um, young uh, gentleman who had said, you know, I've done all these things. I kept the law. I've been, you know, I've done these things. And he said, you know, what, what else can I do? And so Jesus responds to him in verse 21 says, Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have, have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad <laughs> because he had great wealth. Isn't that interesting? So he had kept, kept the law. So you, you can imagine that this is someone who wanted to do what Jesus wanted him to do. You know, he had kept the law. He was saying, I'm a, I'm a good person. I want to do right. You know, what, what more can I do? And so Jesus tells him what to do. And he said, oh, man. And why is he sad? Because he had such great wealth. And I don't think he, um, it says here that he had great wealth, but I don't think that even if 
you know, some of us would be saddened when we don't have great wealth because we have come to value so much of our, so much of ourselves are valued in material things. So when we ourselves identify with the material things that we value, then if someone says sells that, we become sad because what, what then am I? If I sell all that, what little it is, I value that, and, that I, and I'm identified with that, then if I get rid of that, then what am I? So then I don't think it really necessarily meant that he had to be rich in this particular instance. He is rich, or he had a lot to give up. But we ourselves would be saddened, I think. Even what little we have, we have come to identify ourselves with our home, our car, our neighborhood, you know, our status in the community. And so that's, and so when you get rid of that, then lays bare what, what, it, what am I and who am I? And, that, and, and some of us are afraid to acknowledge or understand what that really is. And if separated from Christ, we have no idea of who we are. But, if, but fortunately, if you are saved, a born-again believer, then your identity is in him and not in the things. So you can be devoid of all the things and you realize, I am content with him. These things can't make me, ri- make, make me happy. They can't, they, they can't fulfill me. They can't bring me joy. Only he can. Uh, 22, 22 says, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Verse 23, then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So it, said, it didn't say it was impossible. He said it's just easier. And so the eye, I don't know if you are familiar with the eye of the needle. So when the kingdom or the gates were closed at night, there was a little door that, you know, people could come through after hours. It was the after hours door. So if they enter into the city, you had to go through the smaller door. And so you can picture the smaller door. If a camel comes up to that smaller door, it would be harder for that camel to get through. Not impossible. <laughs> Because the camel can't get through. And what the camel would have to do is get really low. He would have to bow himself down on his knees. He would have to take off all the stuff that he was carrying to get through this smaller door. Because this is not the regular gate to the city. But he had to humble himself to get through that door. And it's possible, if you have a lot of wealth or riches, that you can enter into the kingdom. But you have to humble yourself. You have to get rid of all the stuff that you're carrying to get in the kingdom. And we need to look at that and say, what am I, what am I carrying that's preventing me to get, to get in, to get to the kingdom? What am I carrying that I've made a God in my life or idol in my life? Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to enter into uh, through the eye of the needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Colossians 3, 2 says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And then 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19 through 19 says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in their wealth. That's important. Don't put your hope in your wealth. I think in 2008, people, uh, uh, seven or eight, eight. People put a lot of hope in their wealth, and then when the stock market crashed, they realized <laughs> there's no hope in wealth. 
as it can fly away into the sky like an eagle. Uh, so people realized they had to work a little longer, and they thought they were going to retire, and that wasn't able to happen for a lot of people. And a lot of people killed themselves, you know, because they put their hope in their wealth, and their, and their wealth went away. They had nothing, and their identity went away with it, which is uncertain. But put your hope in God. So don't put your hope in your wealth, which is uncertain. We realize that. But put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So this is the word that that uh, young man who built more because he had more. He said, hey, when you have a certain amount of wealth, give. Do good. Do good deeds. Be generous and willing to share. In this way, you will... They will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm firm foundation for the coming age so that they will take hold of a life that is truly life. That is good. In this way, they will, those who do good to, who are rich and are doing good in the community, will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that they truly, that is truly life. So this end, you know. This is important. This is uh, when you do good with your wealth, you're laying up a foundation in heaven that is truly life. You will experience what is truly life and not be caught up in your material gains. Your heart follows your treasure. Or your treasure follows your heart. Which one is it? (laughs) Either one. (laughs) Your heart follows your treasure. Um, sometimes I use, I know sometimes I use an example of work a whole lot because um, I spend a lot of time there, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and so there's opportunities sometimes, and you may have the same thing, opportunities to work overtime. And at my, my particular company, um, if you're at a certain position, uh, you don't have to work overtime. If, if they call you and ask, you can, but it's not required. Um, so you can turn it down. And so there are certain people in that, within my department, and there are various departments, um, but there are certain people within my department uh, especially on the shift that I work, are always going to work any overtime that you, if, if there is any uh, any uh, idea, anybody whispers overtime, they're on it. They're like, hey, I want that. And it's like, man, and and I'm the exact opposite. <laughs> you say overtime, I'm like, oh, I don't work enough. I'm not, I'm not trying to do any more here than I have to. Uh, and sometimes I do feel obligated to help out the team or, you know, be a team player. So sometimes I will come in because when COVID was going on and people were out sick, then they were, you know, hey, can you help out? I don't want to, but yes, I will. I will, I will help out for the team. I will do good for the team. Um, but you realize that you sacrifice a whole lot <laughs> when you're working. You know, even if you work a regular nine to five and you work 40 hours a week, you're sacrificing your 40 hours a week from other things that you could be doing. And so, um, what are you sacrificing? So here's a temperature, here's a temperature, temperature gauge for your heart. Uh, what sacrifices have you made for material gain? And compare that to the sacrifices you have made for Christ. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when you add education, working, working overtime, working several jobs, times away from family and friends, when you add health and life, that we all commit when we work somewhere. We, 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 we sacrifice these things. 
Uh, and depending on the environment, you sacrifice your health, you know, depending on the, where your work environment. And some people have sacrificed their, their life at work, you know. Before I started working there, somebody died, a couple people died where I work. Because it can be dangerous, some of the jobs can be very dangerous. Uh, but that is a sacrifice that they, they have made. Uh, and so what sacrifices, so then compare that to all the time and energy you spent. And those of you who are in school, I'm not saying you, you drop out of school, by no means do that. Uh, <laughs> but all the time and financial means and energy that you put into uh, gaining material gain. And we think about that with our kids. I have a son in college, sophomore, and we often, I often think, you know, I hope he can make money doing what <laughs> playing the violin. I hope there is money to be made because <laughs> I don't want to support him 20 years from now. Um, so I hope he can make, <laughs> I don't want to support him two years from now. So <laughs> I hope he can make money doing that uh, because there's an investment. There's been an investment in the education and, you know, we traveled just a couple weeks ago down to see him in a concert and it was great. And, you know, it's like this is an investment. There was an investment in private lessons. There was an investment in and sending him to these these camps on, during the summer. Those things don't come free, or they're, and they're not cheap. Uh, he just called this week to say, oh, I got accepted uh, to Aspen, which is a music festival in Colorado he's going to be doing this summer. And he, he got accepted, so they'll pay for everything. I was like, God is good, because I don't have to pay any of that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But there are sacrifices to be made. And we do that because, you know, he's doing that because he wants to make a career in that. And you're doing that if you're in college because you're wanting to uh, be able to financially support yourself after a certain amount of time. Right? There's a sacrifice we made in studying. We've done all this throughout life. We've sacrificed things for material gain. And so compare that to what sacrifices have you made for Christ? Does it equal? Is it, have you put in the same amount of time for Christ that have you put in for work? You know, you've done 40 hours of work this week, at least. Uh, how much have you said and how much have you spent with Christ? Help us, Lord. <laughs> Help me, Lord. And it doesn't have to be equal. I'm not saying that it has to be equal. But you can see where our there is there's this exchange. That there's, it's not going to be, it may not be equal in the world we live in. I'm not saying that you shouldn't work, but where is your value? Where is your heart? Where do you desire to be? So those guys who always are willing to get the overtime, they, their heart is at work. They want to get that, that uh, overtime so they get that extra money, and I don't know what they're doing with it, uh, but, hey, it's, it's for them, and it's great. But where is your heart? Where is your desire to really want to work the 40 hours or the 80 hours a week or whatever you're doing or to get the extra house or the boat or the, the nicer car or the fancy shoes or whatever it is? Is that is that what we're accumulating and wanting to get? Or are we working uh, just to meet our needs and whatever extra we can give to help others? You know, if I'm okay, then I'm okay and my family's okay, then I can look to benefit others and not to build up and buy more for myself. Uh, what sacrifices are you made for Christ? First uh, Thessalonians 2, 4 says, Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our heart. And this is where, it's, to me, this is where uh, the theme, this theme has come up throughout uh, this whole series on the Sermon on the Mount, is our motives, where our heart, where our heart lies. From the beginning, when they talk about the Beatitudes, 
And he talked about even prayer and fasting and, and, and uh, giving. Even in that, he was saying, your motives were wrong. The, the Pharisees' motives in praying was wrong because they wanted to be seen in front of other people, and that's why they prayed. They gave so that other people can see them give. They fasted and they distorted their faces so people would know that they're fasting. So it wasn't a righteous doing, it was a self-righteous because they wanted to be seen. So even their motive in doing what is good was about them. It was never about doing what's good. <laughs> so what is your motive? This, this alone is looking at your motives. So First Thessalonians 2 says, he alone examines the motives of our hearts. So my wife isn't here, and I'll give this example, and hope she, hopefully she won't see the video. Um, <laughs> watch this. So oftentimes, you know, so my wife's love language is spending time. It's quality time. And we debate on what mine is. But uh, so she will say to me, well, I want you to spend time with me because you want to spend time with me, not because I asked you to spend time with me. Uh, <laughs> shame on you. So I would say, well, I don't know if, to, to me, the motive doesn't matter as long as the outcome is the same. So as long as I'm spending, <laughs> shame on you. <laughs> so as long as I'm spending time with you, whether I'm choosing to spend time with you because you asked me to or because I wanted to, we're still spending time. That the motive doesn't matter to me in my mind. So in saying that, I say that a lot, sometimes a lot. And so when I read this, I was like, ah, God examines the motives of my heart. So motives do matter. So don't tell her that motives matter. But, um, <laughs> but in the instance, you can do both. So I think you can, you, you can, you, you spend time because someone asks you to because you love them and you spend time because sometimes you want to spend time. Um, so I think they're both good. But God examines the motives of our hearts and even our praying, our fasting, our giving, even the good deeds that we do and even the, the negative things that we may do. It is that he's looking at our heart. And so we may think we know the motive. See, Cammie looking at no. <laughs> We may think we know the motive, but we're only looking at the outward. We can only look at what we see from the outside. And she can only say, I can, with my wife in that instance, she can only base it off of what I do and not work. I know the motive of my heart, so I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. And it could be because you asked me to several times, and so, yeah, I'm going to spend time with you. Uh, <laughs> or it could be because I really desire to want to hang out and spend time. So, But God knows the motives of your heart. So he knows when you're sincere about your praying. He knows when you're sincere about your giving, about your fasting. He knows when you're sincere about letting go of material gains. He knows when he re requests things of you that what's in your heart. And even though you may do that, which is good because you're being sometimes a sacrificial, I'm going to do what the Lord tells me to do, even, I, even though I don't feel it or don't want to, I still say commend you to do that. Um, but he knows what's in your heart. And he knows uh, the sacrifices that you're willing to do for him. We may tell ourselves, well, yeah, I would spend 40 hours uh, a week with you, Lord, if I had the time. And then you retire and you don't spend 40 hours a week with him. <laughs> or, or you have some time off or whatever. You don't, we don't, I don't take my vacation time to say I'm going to pray for 40 hours a week. I don't do that. <laughs> I don't plan on doing that. Um, but maybe he will put that in my heart to do. I don't know. Because he's my treasure, right? And he's benefited me. My, 
so so much, uh, and all these things on the earth are just temporal. And so, maybe I should, maybe I should rethink my commitment and what I'm doing. How, how am I living my life that shows that I'm sacrificial to Christ and not to these things that are around me? One example of God's word that comes into mind when Hannah is when Hannah was praying. So this is someone looking at the outward. And, and trying to make a judge on someone's inward appearance. So 1 Samuel 1, 9 through 28, and uh, Eli thinks that she, Hannah is drunk. Uh, the text says in verse 13, and I don't have this on, uh, this is an afterthought. Uh, Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. So he assumed she was drunken. So she, she was praying to the Lord, but on her lips were moving. She was speaking from her heart, but on her lips were moving. Uh, but Eli could only see her lips moving and didn't hear any sound, so he thought he, she was drunk. And Eli was not thinking the best and determined that he knew what was going on in her heart. Here was a godly woman pouring out her heart to the Lord in prayer and being taken for a drunk woman. And so herein lies where we can, ourselves, can misinterpret someone's that's why we can't be the judges in intents of people's hearts. That, that's why we can't, we're, we can't lean, lean to our own cleverness to understand what someone else is doing and why they're doing it. And we've got to lean on him. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 7 uh, helps us to understand how God desires us to think the best of others. So in this situation, it says, Love bears all, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love hopes the best. Believes, it believes the best and doesn't presume the worst. It isn't suspicious of others' motives. That's what love is. Vine's Dictionary defines believe all things at, as it does not mean that it accepts all truth to, in all situations. So it doesn't mean that it accepts truth in all situations. Love is never taken, uh, for granted, uh, taken advantage of. It is, however, ready to impute the best motives even when one's act is unkind or detrimental. And bearing with evil conduct, it seeks to avoid undue superstition. Where there is an element of doubt as to the real intention, love decides to regard it as good and honest. That's what love does. So even when someone's intentions may be wrong, we love them and we're going to assume the best intention in that situation because of love. Deuteronomy 6 5 says, love your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. That is what we have to do. So the sacrifice is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So we cannot have idols. We can't have these material things that will uh, come in to play with us and distract us. And I, I'll use an example. I had my, um, I have purchased some new ear, wireless earbuds. And um, I had them in, and I had them in for a little while, and I was sitting on the couch, and then I took them out, and I, t- I told my wife, oh, um, I meant to tell you that I have these in, and if you called me, I didn't hear you for the past 30 minutes because I had these in. She said, oh, oh, I'm glad you told me, but I didn't call you. I said, good. Uh, and so in, in that example, I was thinking, I was like, man, when, when the Lord tries to communicate with us or wants to get our attention, and because we have all of these things distracting us, so let's say the car is blocking my hearing or the job or 
all this trying to accumulate material things is blocking me from hearing Christ. Or blocking me from hearing anything. <laughs> it's like those earbuds in that I can't hear. And so when he calls or he beckons me to come, I don't hear it. And I miss out. Right? I'm too busy doing things and trying to accumulate things and washing my nice fancy truck or, you know, trying to get things like a live in this big fancy house. And when I get this big fancy house, I got to clean this big fancy house and I got to maintain the yard of this big fancy house because I can't have my grass look worse than my neighbor's grass. And so I got to be out there for at least six hours a week during the summer. Um, <laughs> that's what happens, right? can't be the trashy house in the neighborhood. I got to keep it up. You know? um, so then we're, we're, we're consumed with the wealth and the material things that we don't hear and can't focus on God. Two sets of eyes. So the eye symbolic of the heart. Psalms 119, 9 through 12 says, How can a young man stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart I might, I, that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. So the eyes are the symbol of the heart. When your heart is right, your path is clear. Psalms 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. When your heart is wrong, your walk is dark. Proverbs 4 and 19 says, uh, But the way of the wicked is like a deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. So when you're walking in darkness, you don't know what. It's dark. <laughs> you can't see. Um, and we're so in need of light in this world. So in need of light. Two masters, in verse 24, says no one can serve two masters. And you can't be a slave, you know, you can't be a slave to two masters. So if you think about a servant, um, you can't serve this house and do all that you're supposed to do in this house and then try to serve in another house. You work yourself to death, right? And so that's what it's saying. You can't serve two masters. Uh, James 4, 4 says, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with, against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Your heart can only be fully devoted to one. Uh, Psalm 62.10 says, Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Again, you can't have your money be your God because it will leave you astray. And then look at Matthew 6.33, which um, actually this, this started the whole Sermon on the Mount sermon. Uh, <laughs> what seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all those things that you desire, he will give you. He knows what you have need. And we're going to touch on that the next time we, we look at this. But in conclusion, your treasure determines your heart. or Your, your heart de determines the course of your life. You cannot divide your heart between two masters. Therefore, choose you this day whom you will serve. So in Joshua 24, we'll end there. Joshua 24, 14 through 24. This is good stuff here. It says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away 
the gods of your ancestor, that your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 16. Then the people answered, Far be it for us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. And this is, and so in reading this, I want you to think about what God has done for you. So they, they uh, go back and think about all the things that God has done for them. They're saying, so far be it for us to forsake God because it is the Lord our God himself who brought us out of our parents up out of Egypt and from the land of slavery and performed great signs before our eyes. And what great signs has he performed in your life? Uh, he protected us out of the entire journey and among all the nations through which we travel. And the Lord drove out before us all those nations, including the Amorites who live in the land. We, too, will serve the Lord because he is our God. So they say, hey, look, God has done all these great things in our lives. Yeah, we're going to serve him. Joshua says to the people, which I think uh, this is really wise, he said, are you not able to serve? You are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and will make an end of you after he has been good to you. Verse 21, but the people have said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. And they said, hey, even knowing that in our rebellion, if we rebel, God does not like us to serve this other master. No, we're going to serve him. And Joshua says, you are a witness against yourselves <laughs> that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they reply. And then Joshua said, now then, said Joshua, throw away your foreign gods that are among you, and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. Throw away your foreign gods that are among you, and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And then the people, Joshua said, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. Throw away your foreign gods among you, and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. Amen? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm done. Uh, you can stand, I will stand to your feet. But in closing, I do want to admonish you um, this week to take the temperature. Hopefully this is a, a beginning of you taking the temperature of your heart. <laughs> uh, take that stethoscope and... Put it, examine your heart, and allow the Holy Spirit to help you examine to see where am I in this, you know? And, and am I, is my identity with these material things that I've accumulated, whether it be great or small or whatever they are? Because I don't think it takes a lot for us to be, uh, poor people fantasize <laughs> about the material things and rich people want to get more material things. So either way, we can make it an idol in our lives whether we have a lot or not. Uh, but take that to your heart. If um, if you was to say, hey, you'll be like Job and get rid of all your material goods, would you be okay? You know, is your identity with your job? If I don't have a job, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm lost. I'm, I'm I'm not a man because I don't have a job. You know, is that what or my 
who's, who's your um, provider? Is there a job or is it God? You know? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. 